So uh, this is the official Q podcast. I'm Kevin Brittingham, um, and today we're talking with Dave Kramer, who is a friend of mine from Atlanta, who has been in the industry for a while. We dealt with some of the same uh, customers for probably 10 years or so, and um, but mainly want to talk to you today, Dave, about uh, SOC F. Um, a, a charity that I think you and a couple guys started that uh, a lot yep. of us are fond of. For it. So, Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing awesome, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for the time. So, um, so what what's new? Or give people some background uh, on how m- most everyone in the industry knows you, maybe, and, and kind of what you're doing now. Sure. So, uh, so I I come from on the kind of the soft goods side of the of the outdoor industry. Uh, I was worked retail when I was in Atlanta, and then and then started a, a small rep agency. So we had a portfolio of brands that we would represent to retailers and and, and sell and support the brand's efforts in the geographic territory. And in about the early 2000s, we started getting a bunch of military guys coming to our show. So it was, you know, I was more on the hiking, camping, climbing side of the business. And, uh, you know, the kind of the REI world side of the world, not the Cabela side of the world. And, um, and we started getting these military guys coming into, into the outdoor show. And because so many of the special operations bases are in the Southeast U.S., which was my geographic territory, uh, the people running the booths would be like, Oh, you need to go talk to Dave. He's our guy in North Carolina or he's our guy in Georgia or Florida or, Virginia and uh, not being a former military guy, I'm just you know fielding these questions and and uh, very very intrigued by these these consumers, these customers. Um, you know, is uh, probably probably share a lot of the same affinity that you have. Um, you know, you start talking to these guys and and it's you know it's amazing the. Uh, the level of professionalism and, and dedication, and, and how how much these guys commit to their to their work and craft, and you know, so yeah, I kind of got plugged into the military and then then the law enforcement side of the world through kind of you know a very circuitous route. I'm not a I'm not a former anything. I'm you know, I jokingly say I'm qualified to fit your boots because I've had all sorts of qualifications to do that. <laughs> but other than that, I'm. <laughs> You know, I'm a guy. And I think for, you know, to put an understanding on this, so you're repping high-end brands like Solomon, um, Arteryx, really high-end stuff. And what I saw from my side of, you know, um, the industry was as we went from um, fighting, you know, for instance, like in Baghdad to Afghanistan, then equipment changed on our end, and you see it with optics and experimenting with calibers and using different types of small arms. But then, you know, my impression is that's when, you know, sort of these, what do they say, like tip of the spear, which is commonly used. But the guys that we're talking about that actually do a lot of the, a lot of the killing, a lot of tracking people down, um, (laughs) you know, and to me, I say it all the time, like everybody that serves is a hero, but this is like a whole nother level, Um, major league. But all their, it seems like when we went to Afghanistan, all their, Equipment got very technical, which is where I imagine you got really involved with hiking boots, not wearing, you know, standard military boots of any right. kind, but the guys yep. were seeking out hiking boots and climbing gear and, you know, Arteryx, 
um, you know, really high end stuff. And I, I think that was, that was very interesting to me. Is that kind of how it happened? Yeah. I mean, you know, there was, like you said, there was a, a definitive shift. I mean, when, when we went into Afghanistan in the fall of, of 2001 and, and, you know, basically it started to freeze up and those guys that were you know, on the initial ground force element, you know, they're wearing stuff that hadn't changed in many cases since the Vietnam war. And so here you have, you have guys in Afghanistan, um, in, in these brutally cold, windy, snowy, icy conditions with stuff that, you know, my dad's generation wore. And <laughs> yeah. contrast that with, uh, with a consumer who's going skiing or mountaineering or climbing or trekking or whatever. And in the pursuit of high performance clothing and looking cool while you're on your trip, you know, companies like Arcteryx and the North Face and Patagonia and all these sort of outerwear brands, you know, they're running circles around what the guys are are given, you know. I mean, just the sheer advancements in every every year that these that these premium outdoor brands do in in improving the performance, making it lighter, making it more compressible, making it more yeah. durable without increasing the weight. And so that's that's what created fertile ground for you know, a numbskull like me to be successful selling to the to the military guys. You know, if you if you strip away yeah. the American flag and the apple pie and the and the and the kind of the country music sound of, you know, supporting supporting the military, if you look at it strictly from business, it's a great opportunity. Um and the the objective to keep a guy comfortable and performing, high performing in the cold is the same whether he's climbing in Alaska or the Himalayas or in South America, or if he's waging war in Afghanistan and and northern Iraq and in these you know awful conditions. And so, yeah. you know, for, for me, then you bolt on things that I love and hold dear, and it's like, dude, I got to do this. This is you know, I, I I never served, I never had that calling, and finally. You know, this is a way that I can contribute a little bit, and, and it was really, really fun to get to know these guys and, and speak with them about what you know what their loadout looks like, and try to understand. Okay, so that's the reason you couldn't choose that other pack we used to do because you're carrying this and this and this, and they wouldn't fit, or there was not a way to attach it on, or the clothing yeah. wasn't working because of whatever these things are. So that's yeah, that was my. Uh, my introduction, you know, I, I always kind of joke, like, I, I'm kind of a parasite, you know, I'm a kid from from the suburbs of Atlanta, and I'm dealing with these special mission guys, and it's like, I, you know, I'm a piece of pepper in the salt shaker when I'm dealing with those guys, because I'm not one of them, um, you know, and, and it's it was just very intoxicating to me to, to work with these guys and get to know them, and just like in any business case, you start to, what starts off as, you know, What's the requirement? How can we help? What's the timeline to meet, you know, all these kind of sterile business things? And then you're talking about your kids and, hey, you share some some similar passions for, for hiking or fishing or shooting or skiing. And uh, you start to develop a rapport. And then that rapport starts to, to really, um, you know, expand into a true relationship and friendship with a lot of these guys. And, um, you know, on the... As that progressed for me, then you start going to funerals, and it's like, holy smokes, 
You know, I remember I, the very first military funeral I went to was for a guy from Virginia Beach named Tom Valentine. And uh, I just remember thinking, you know, like, this is, this is crazy. My friends aren't dying. You know, the kids that I went to middle school and high school with, they're not dying. You know, they're, they're raising kids. And here, here you got Tom Valentine's family. Like, I, I, like, I couldn't even grasp it. And then that started happening, unfortunately, a lot. And, um, man, it just, it was, it, it finally shook me like, hey, you know, you, me, Dave Kramer, kid from Atlanta making money uh, in the outdoor industry and, and now servicing these military customers, like there was a, a significant depth now because I was connected to these guys in a meaningful way uh, beyond just, you know, selling them products. I was I was really invested in them. And, um, yeah, you know, and so uh, unfortunately when, when another friend up in Virginia Beach um, died in a parachuting accident, uh, the same way actually Tom Ballantyne died. Uh, his name was Brett Shadle, or Shady is what we called him. And uh, when Shady died, I just remember he was, I was close to him. He was the kind of the gear guy at, at his squadron. And uh, so we talked very often. And I used to love to send them care packages when they were overseas, you know, like just throw a bunch of stuff in a box and send it their way. And um, but when he died, I, you know, that shook me hard. And, uh, that's kind of was the incubus for, for what happened for Sock F and how we got started was, was Shady's passing. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I remember that. But before we get into, to that, if you don't mind, sure. <clears throat> yeah, I want to talk about a couple things that you just brought up. You know, it was interesting. And I think a lot of people who are enthusiasts and, um, or even a lot of people in the industry don't understand that, you know, you know, there, there's kind of, two groups of the military, you know, they're, they're sort of big army. And, um, when you engage with big army and contracts, you don't really get to know anyone. You never, it's rare that you interact with actual soldiers or guys using the equipment, but you deal with procurement and, you know, some of the, the people that they'll have on maybe a technical committee or something. But, um, when you deal with some of the special operations groups, and especially when you're trying to develop, like, what you did was try to, well, and I, I say what you did with Arteris and Solomon was able to take very technical gear and, and you kind of touched on there and, and suit it to their needs. And, you know, maybe right. sometimes it's primarily making it, you know, multicam, but it seems I didn't have a good understanding because, you know, growing up in the South, like you were never exposed to the cold very much unless you right. go out of your way. And so I remember I was going on a trip, and um, I had bought – it was going to be cold, and I bought some REI brand, you know, uh, like Gore-Tex stuff that was, you know, like outer shell stuff that was the best stuff I'd ever had, and it seemed pretty good. But I remember you sent me some of the Arteric stuff that you had done for some of those customers and yep. sent it for me. And when I put that on, it was like, holy shit, you know, it's the difference <laughs> in, like, wearing – you know, it felt like wearing pajamas or something as opposed to wearing a, you know, a three-piece suit that doesn't fit you correctly. Um, and you just don't notice it, which is the great thing about most of it. I take that into gun design and stuff as well. Uh, like, I, I, this stuff needs to be lightweight and compact and very efficient. And you know, the best thing is when you ergonomically and stuff, when you don't notice things. That's when I feel like it's right. And um, so, you know, I never would have afforded 
or even thought about buying Arcteric stuff until you kind of educated me. But just to kind of circle back, well, what that does is we form relationships with these guys. And, you know, for 10 or 12 years, that's all I did as well, but on the small arms side. So we developed silencers and ammo and different things for guns and then mission-specific stuff, which was very interesting. So we got to be, you know, you're friends with a lot more of the guys than I am, but, you know, half of my friends in my adult life now are the guys that I've met doing that, you know, and you become close and it becomes a bond. And then when you see, oh, well, shit, these are, you know, this was their path in life, but they have families and kids and, you know, um, like, you know, oh, he's got a kid that's dyslexic like mine or, um, you know, whatever the situation is. And, um, yes, it's been tough. I know we've both been to more funerals than you want to think about, but, um, it's been very touching to me uh, to to see the passion that you guys have had for SOC F. And so why don't, why don't you describe how that happened with Shady and then, um, you know, how it's gone from there and kind of the mission and uh, what you guys do and what's special about it. Yeah, sure. So so the, the story of Shady actually starts about three months prior when uh, a friend of mine, John Knight, who works at Magpul, yeah. sent me – 300 PMAGs and you know it was three cases sitting there next to my my desk and I had a you know fairly small little office there in Atlanta and um, he was like hey when you know when you're sending dudes shoes and jackets just throw a couple PMAGs in the box and and uh, you know have at it so I didn't do any smart on it. part yeah so they were smart just, on his part by the way yeah yeah, sitting there, uh, they were sitting next to my desk and on, uh, on Good Friday uh, that year, and, and, and you know, Shady died, and, and man, I was tore up, and I went back to work on Monday at my office, and of course, you know, the whole weekend, you're calling friends and trying to get an update, and, you know, just, uh, you know, kind of, unfortunately, normal, normal, uh, operations of what happens when, when somebody perishes, you know, you're trying to figure out how to help the family and when the memorial is going to be and if he can make it and everything. And, and, uh, I had a picture of Shady up, uh, on my wall, um, where he was in a Chinook helicopter and he had, I think it's probably post mission. He had taken his helmet off and his hair was all crazy and he had a humongous beard. And, um, and I cut that, that image out and printed a couple of them, and I made a stencil, and then I spray painted it, and and I sprayed it in the color of uh, that matches squadron and everything, and and um, it took me all day, and I made ten of them, and it literally looked like a third grader put them together, but um, I called them the Shady Mags, and um, and two weeks later we were at the memorial, and I had to actually after the memorial there was uh, just a, a gathering of friends and family at a local restaurant and uh, and I handed those mags to a buddy and I was like hey just you know sell them and give the money to Jenna I'm sure she's got some bills and you know could use some money just to help like until all the benefits start to, to kick in and uh, I flew home and directly flew to the destination uh, for work and you know three hours later I'm on the tarmac getting back to the gate and the guy calls me he's like hey guess how much those mags went for I'm like I don't know. I mean, like 15 bucks a piece. So I thought, ah, 100 bucks. He's like, go higher. I was like, uh, 
500? Nope, higher. 1,000? Higher. 1,500? He's like, at a zero. He's like, we sold five of them for 15,000 bucks, dude. And then we had to cut it off because the family was, the, the crowd was whipped into a frenzy and the family wanted them. Like, it was, it was electric in that building. And so I'm sitting there like, you're kidding me, you know, like 15,000 bucks. Like, that's nuts. Well, I had 290 left. And so at this point, you were at, had, had sold AAC and were running, you know, the, the business unit for Remington. And I called, uh, a couple guys that worked for you and, uh, Jason digitized that art. And John Hollister's and Mike Hoffman said, yeah, give them to us and we'll, we'll use our printer, uh, the laser printer thing or the laser engraver thing. And, uh, they digitized that photo and 290 of these later, uh, I got them to three different accounts of mine that, you know, Arcteryx and Solomon accounts and they sold them for as a pass through, sold them for a hundred bucks each and we raised another just shy of 30 grand selling magazines and it was it was nuts it was off to the races and we were able to to give that money to a um a seal oriented um 501c3 that's uh called the all in all the time foundation it was set up after tom valentine died and they were able to to handle that money for the for the family and and get it squared away but we did this you know out of atlanta but we sold them up in virginia and and that's when the now the founders of SOCF are like, hey, if we can if we can you know sell that many mags and do that sort of stuff, you know, in a in a small community like Virginia Beach, you know, we can make a real impact in Atlanta and major cities. And so we we formed up uh, an LLC first, and then got approved as by an, by the IRS as a 501c3. And uh, you know, quite frankly, it. it SOCF allowed me to, to do things that sometimes business, you know, you don't have, you don't have as much flexibility as you would want. Maybe it's not appropriate or whatever. Well, SOCF, I could just try new things like, Hey, what do you think if we, uh, if we got a bottle of booze and all the guys from that particular organization autographed it? And, you know, then you're like, man, you know, cool. You, know, you got 70 bucks in this bottle of booze and, you know, a paint pen. And suddenly this thing goes for $8,000 and you're like, whoa, like who to thunk it, you know, or, you know, last year there was some magic at our, one of our events where, uh, the, one of the very first fixes, um, Q fix rifles got auctioned off and we had two guys fighting for it and they both went for a staggering amount of money. And you're like, you know, you're, you're sitting there just shaking your head like, man, this is, you know, these guys are buying rifles for more money than I've made in a year at times in my life. Yeah. And, uh, and then one of the guys turns, yeah. And a guy turns around and hands the rifle to a soft guy, gives him a big man hug like, Hey man, thanks for what you do and walks away. And you're just, you're sitting there watching this and you're like, Man, so that, that's one of the, like, one of the most energizing things in my, in my life is I can, I say I, we can try these things and see what kind of moves the needle, what resonates with people. And I think, you know, when, in, in any, in, in this case for fundraising, but I think it's the same in business. When you connect with the consumer in a meaningful way that maybe it hasn't been done 
or executed well, or maybe hasn't been done in the, in, ever, you know, you can you can really achieve some pretty significant results. And that's what we're seeing now when we, you know, do a project with you or 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 whatever that looks like. Get up, you know, get some of the guys who are, are deploying to take flags on target and then they send them back to you and you know, you you see these flags and you're like, hey man, this flag was on a particular target and you name it. And they're like, you know, people will give you a staggering amount of money for these sorts of things. So I find significant satisfaction in being able to do these kind of unique um, and interesting uh, test beds for what moves the needle. And then we're able to raise a ton of money and put it to work and, and really make a difference in these families' lives that, you know, um, you know, for Congress, it's a rounding error. Uh, but, you know, you start talking to somebody, it's like, dude, I don't have $6,000 to get my kid to this test because insurance won't cover it and uh you know and it's like wait 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 you know you're looking at financial ruin but if i write you a check for six thousand dollars to get this this test done for your child you know like yeah that's it that's all it would take and it's like dude send me the address i'll send you the money you know we'll, we'll vote on it as a board usually by text it's like yep send them the money and get it done, or you know, you send these guys to get some treatment for a brain injury or for alcoholism or whatever it is, and it's just, I mean, it is one of the most gratifying things I, I do in my life. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that from my standpoint, and I don't know a lot about all the different charities and stuff like that, but, you know, we used to be involved with Wounded Warrior back at Advanced Armament and stuff, and that's kind of gotten big. But, you know, it, it is interesting that you do a lot of stuff for people that you know, and um, it's a personal thing, and there's not boundaries on it. It's like just what you said. If somebody needs help with, uh, you know, treatment for, you, you know, some sort of addiction, you do that. If somebody's kid needs money for school, you know, like you're just able to be very fluid and take it case by case. And, you know, I think that's. You know, me knowing you personally and what kind of, you know, man and father you are, uh, you know, that goes a long way with me. So I never hesitate. You know, it's like we were talking before, uh, you know, we started recording and it's, uh, you know, now I'm, I just use, I use it here as kind of a barometer. People, you know, we have a big backlog on a lot of our products, fortunately, right now. And when people, I mean, you know how it goes, especially when you deal on high-end products, when you're used to dealing with Solomon and Arcteryx. Everybody wants something special, and they don't realize what a pain in the ass it is. And um, they can kind of play in that category. So it's real simple to me. I'm like, well, yeah, I could do that, but if you send 200 bucks to Sock Out and then screen capture that, proving it and send it to me, I'll do it for you. Otherwise, you know, just shut up. (laughs) And and it, it works for everyone. Um, yep. Which is pretty exciting for me. Yeah, I mean it's um, it's cool because you can just like you, you know you talked about you can you can just hey you know sitting there drinking your coffee and you're like hey well that, man it'd be cool if we tried this and you know it's a you know not a significant investment or capital expenditure or you know in your case new tooling and machining it's like hey you know you want to be in the front of the line it's you know. Here's what it cost, and you know we can we can do some you know really interesting fun things that that are low investment 
you know, from from our side of the of the of the world and 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 make uh, make some some nice strides. I mean, you know, from from my arcteric stains, I had I had stuff from trade shows and sales meetings and marketing meetings and all these, you know, just you know, two decades worth of stuff. And um, I would put it on Facebook auction, like, hey, man, you know, here's a wine glass with the Arcteryx logo from some sales meeting, you know, in, you know, 2001 or something, you know, and I'm going to donate all the money to Sock F and, uh, you know, here it goes. And boom, people start buying, you know, packs of stickers and coffee cups and, you know, beer glasses and patches and stuff and i mean geez yeah it it is it's interesting and i think as a creative creative outlet like i've tried to work for a couple big companies before and it just doesn't work very well for me um (laughs) and and i think like i'm fairly creative and i'm willing to take risks and um when it's my company i can do that but um you know i enjoy coming up with something unexpected every day at work and i think that's uneasy for a lot of people but i think this is something that now you have with this charity that you can do this you can try things you know some things you try they fail but you don't have the the, the dire consequence of a business and you know if you make two mistakes in a row you've got to let people go cuz i believe how many guys are involved and how much for instance, how much money did you raise give out last year? If you're willing to say that, and how much money did yeah, you sure. guys take? So, so uh, the the original board is uh, Cannon Reynolds, who's the architect here in Atlanta. Griff Griffin, yeah. who's an IP attorney here in Atlanta, and then David Money, who is a retired attorney. Uh, he was he was from an Atlanta firm, but he spends his time most of his year out in Colorado. Uh, but he's got, still got a farm here in Georgia, and then myself. And actually, just recently, we we invited a few more people to the board just to help us um, expand our our accountability and our reach, and uh, you know have have different perspectives. Uh, and that actually happened last week. But all of us on the board, we volunteer our time, um, and some of them have have uh, talent and treasure. I just got time, but. Uh, you know, we all volunteer. Uh, nobody makes a salary. Nobody gets a bonus. Nobody. We don't pay any rent to anything, the store anything. It's usually in my in my office or in my basement. Uh, um, we don't have any any overhead, monthly overhead or anything. The only things that we have that we pay for, you know, when we put on events, we have catering or you know what whatever uh, tra- travel expenses if we bring uh, a guy from the, the soft community in, and then we have insurance and we pay for that. Uh, so yeah, there's no, no overhead. Um, and that feels really good. Obviously, you know, I, I have a job and I, and I have income and I can provide for my family from, from what I do work wise. So I don't need to make any money, um, you know, from this or, or siphon off anything. And that's, you know, we we certainly take some pride in that, in that fact. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think that's great. And that's a criticism that a lot of the bigger you know, organizations end up, uh, you know, fielding is is because of that. But for yeah. instance, how much out of every dollar that if somebody pays me since two hundred dollars to sock up um, to jump the line with one of our products or whatever I do yeah. on that particular day to have somebody send you money, how much of that two hundred dollars actually goes to the the families? Two hundred dollars. 
<laughs> all of them. So we don't have any, you know, when we do an event, you know, we might charge people to attend the event, um, and then that pays for the catering and the space rental or whatever. But, but yeah, we don't, you know, when, when people just, Hey, I, I, you know, heard about you from a friend, here's 50 bucks or, or Q does something where, you know, unique, you can get in the front of the line or you can pick your own serial number or whatever. And you send us 200 bucks. Uh, yeah, that, that, that doesn't go to any operating cost or anything. Um, and so we're, we're complete, um, pass through in that sense. That's wonderful. Wonderful. How much did you raise last year? So in 2017, we raised and gave away $880,000. And it was, we had one primary event that we did a sporting clays event down here in Atlanta. Then we did a, you know, during uh, NRA, which was in Atlanta, we we did a, uh, a, a party and raised like 40 grand on a night. It was awesome. And then we had, a, you know, a few other smaller events. And then uh, we had two two really, really, really great friends and gracious friends uh, do some of their own fundraising and contributed what they did to us. And so it kind of you know, was a force multiplier. And, uh, you know, typical of any high-growth organization you know our first year we did our first event in 2014 you know we we had this uh, sporting clays event we were able to give away after after that thing was done i want to say it was thirty thousand dollars and we had a few other events but our first year we were able to give away like you know like 90 grand second year we doubled that third year we doubled that again and then last year we doubled that which was more than the first three years combined so you know it was fun, and and I hope this year we're able to give away you know one point two one point three million bucks um, because we don't have any monthly expenditures. We don't necessarily have to have a um, you know oh we need to cover this sort of cost or anything you know so we just you know we put on our events and and then when the money comes in we're able to to kick it right out. And, you know, people always want to know what what does it go to, and that's that's the key thing. You know, for us, we 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 primarily invest it in kind of five different pillars. One is brain treatment uh, for for traumatic brain injuries, and we do two different treatments. One in California um, called the Brain Treatment Center. That's a that's a MRI type machine that helps to re reprogram. Um, the brain and, and boy, I did not stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, and I am not a doctor, so I barely even understand what it does. But we've had a number of our mutual friends go through it, and uh, and they they talk about feeling like they li- they live in the fog, and they go through this month or six weeks of the brain treatment center, and he's and they they talk about an awakening and a clarity that they've never had. They they don't feel the need to hit the bottle, and they sleep really well, and they're less agitated, and it has to do with this neurotransmitter stuff that I truly don't understand. So we we pay for a lot of that, and hyperbaric oxygen therapy, or HBOT, we pay for a lot of the HBOT and MERT. So brain treatment stuff is, is big on our list because it is a massive amount of guys who come out of the military with having multiple concussions and traumatic brain injuries from, from breaches and blasts and falling out of vehicles and training. And um, so we 
we spend a lot of money on on providing that those treatments that are not covered by the VA or Tricare. We also do the same thing for guys who have who have uh, developed addictions. Usually, what happens is you know they they start drinking heavy on, on deployments and uh, they don't stop and they they continue and continue and suddenly they've you know they talk about how guy you know uh, once a once a cucumber turns into a pickle it can't go back to being a a cucumber and these guys, you know, cross that line and become alcoholic or addicted to opioids. And so we're able to send them to, uh, to a treatment facility in Texas, um, for first responders and military guys. So it's peer on peer counseling and it's a 12 step program based deal. Um, we, we made a significant investment in that. Uh, and then, uh, we also do a, a, a big gold star kids program. And that was something that's, uh, that's really expanded, and we did that for our our friends in North Carolina, and that's grown and grown and grown. And we we were able to double the capacity of the amount of kids we pushed through from from 2015, excuse me, 2016 to 2017. And we hope to do that again this year. And that's grown into having a family camp as well. Uh, you know, the, the wives will tell you oftentimes that the family got used to dad being gone 250 nights a year. And when he retires or when he stops deploying and he's home all the time, you've got kind of this foreign agent in the, in the family unit and dad kind of messes things up and there's a tension there. And so they kind of try to re, retweak the family so that the family can get reconnected in a, in a different way. And that's, uh, and so we pay yeah, that's a wonderful thing, too. You know, it's something I think probably neither of us would have ever even thought about because, you, you know, without having these personal connections to these guys, and, it, it, you know, I mean, some of both of our best friends have been in this situation. And yeah. because, you know, what you see on the video and what's popular on YouTube or social media, soldier comes home, he surprises his kid at school, his kid freaks out, hugs him. But, yeah, it doesn't show the adjustment because, I mean, like you said, a lot of these guys, 250, 300 nights a year, like, they're gone. Right. And, yeah, um, yeah I mean, you know, and for me, a lot of them, too, you, you know, uh, someone I love dearly, I started this company with, you know, he joined the Army at 18, you know, and I think he retired um, out of special operations probably, well, mid-40s. He right. never never been home with his family and his kids for any extended period of time. Um, And, you know, you just don't think of these common things. And it's interesting, like, seeing him adapt to that and family life and things you and I would take for granted, being fortunate enough to, you know, be with our kids all the time. You know, Yep. uh, just these little nuances of life. And it's like, you know, to me, I would equate, in, in my mind, after witnessing a few times, like marrying a girl who has kids and you trying to fit into that life. Like it's probably not too different yep. from that. That is a great, so, great metaphor for sure. I think you're right. Yeah. So, you know, that's something, you know, especially, um, you know, me being divorced and, and being a single dad and having my kids full time and, you know, learning a lot of tough lessons about family and these sorts of things, things I took for granted. Uh, growing up, but learning it now and see my kids go through it, that that, that really yeah. uh, warms my heart to know you guys are, are trying to help guys with that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's um, it's amazing. I mean, 
you know, sometimes I can get a little cynical, like, why, why isn't, why can't Congress fix this problem or the VA, you know? But, you know, and, you know, then I think about, you know, back when I used to own a small business, you know, there are functions that a business can do and there are things that it can't or shouldn't do, you know? Just because you run a business doesn't mean you're a counselor or you, or you help someone with their marital needs or their parenting style like and the army doesn't or the navy doesn't do that either you know it's the navy's not yeah. there to be, be provide counseling you know so so that kind of softens my edge on those sorts of things but you know and we're, we're able to step in and we, we say we fill in the gaps in the coverage that these guys have where um you know you you talk to a family you know sometimes uh the, the the command structure will call us and say, hey, we've got a couple and, uh, you know, dad, dad's work is suffering. It's because home life is crap. They're, you know, they're heading towards divorce and into that abyss. And, uh, you know, we have a program set up where we can provide a, a counseling uh, option for that and for those for those families and save a marriage and ultimately save a family, uh, you know, and, and that's... Uh, that's an amazing, you know, you know, thing to do to to help up someone, um, you know. But yeah, man, I, it, it it can become I, daunting I when you start thinking about the sheer amount of people. Well, I can't just. I mean, to me, the idea of trying to help families and save the families and not just, um, you know, it's great. And I want you to discuss the, you know, the other pillars of what you guys try to do, but. You know, an obvious one is when someone's had a brain injury or they're an amputee or, you know, they've had something like that. But just the idea of keeping families together and thinking about for the duration of your life, how important that is. Um, yep. You know, because, I mean, I'm sure nobody wants to lose an arm or a leg, but most everyone would much rather do that than lose their family. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I, I mean... Shaking my head because it's hard to even fathom those sorts of things, you know. And, and and I live such an amazingly privileged American life, and that's bought and paid for by people who volunteer to go do the nation's most difficult work in the crappiest countries in the world, you know. And it's like, you know, I don't have to worry about putting my kids on a school bus or letting them go to target to shop with their money they earn or, you know, let them go to the movies. I don't have to worry about anything blowing up or, or an attack, you know, and that's, that's paid for by someone who volunteered, some do, someone doing something that I didn't do. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy yeah. to help. Makes it easy to want to give. Well, okay. Yeah. So, so what else do you guys focus on? So, so you got brain treatments. You've got the Gold Star Kids program. We've got the addiction and recovery program. We've got marriage uh, kind of recovery counseling, and then yeah. last is um, is an emergency fund. And these are these are when when people call us up. And you know, typically, it is we're we're going outside of insurance because we're doing what every parent in the world would do. We're going to find the specialist who can help us with name that problem, dyslexia, eating issues, um, you know, specialty treatment for cancers or, or blood disorders. And so we can directly fund those, those families. I mean, we've, we've done some where we had a guy who, who got medically retired out of the soft community and they were living in Texas and he had 
twins and they needed to go to Dallas to get a certain type of treatment and they would go up there for a week on week off and they needed, literally needed gas and hotel money. And so that emergency fund kicked in and we were able to, to, to support that family financially. Um, we, we keep, um, a, you know, a, a couple thousand, fifty thousand dollars on hand for these sorts of things at any given time. You know, a random Tuesday, somebody can call us and go, Hey, we've got, you know, a buddy of mine just got, got word that, you know, whatever the issue is. But once we fund our internal initiatives and we have our, our pool of cash for the emergencies set up, um, we, we then give money to other 501c3s who might have a connection to a command or an organization that we don't have or they're closer to that pulse and they could be more responsive than we can. We might hear about something uh-huh. two weeks after the fact. So we'll give money to, to the Green Beret Foundation or the Duskin Stevens Foundation or one's called the Third Option Foundation. Uh, and there are others. And, and these are vetted, well-run 501c3s that have um, a similar ethos. Now they may have a paid staff, you know, an executive director, but, but they're well run and they're not, they're not just a self licking ice cream cone that are, are raising money to have more parties to raise more money to have more parties and, you know, they have nothing to show for at the end. These are, these are very well run organizations and we fund those because, like I said, they may be connected in a way that we're not. Um, we have a great well, relationship with that's, ahead, that's really wonderful, and I was just going to say, I mean, that, that's awesome. It's something I didn't realize that you guys actually even give to other organizations like that. Um, yeah, you know, we have a, a very close relationship with a couple of a couple of different commands, but soft community is not not insignificant. It's pretty big, and so you know, if, if you've got um, like because I'm in Georgia, and you got guys in uh, the Second Ranger Battalion out. Washington State or or a first group or tenth group in, in either Colorado or Washington respectively. I'm not I'm not physically near those places. I'm not super connected to them. And so by giving money to uh the Green Beret Foundation, they can support those guys. Or the Lead the Way Foundation, which is one that's a great great and well run organization for Rangers. Um, you know, we can we can help rangers by helping these other organizations because they might be connected in a way that we're not. So it, it's a great, great way to make the money work. We don't want to own money, but we want to see results of what that money can do. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. What? Um, well, how does someone find you? How does someone donate? How does someone find out? Um, that's one question, just an individual if they want to. The second one is, um, you, you know, hopefully some other, um, you know, companies within our industry will listen to this. And if they want to donate, you know, uh, so a lot of people know sometimes the way that, that I donate, you know, to, to, um, I do it a couple ways for Sokka, like randomly come up with things when someone wants something, um, that's a pain in my ass. I make them donate to you and then I do it. <laughs> or, or, you know, if they want one of the first 100 of a new gun, They'll donate two hundred dollars, and they can have one of the first one hundred. Uh, that's right. one way. Another way would be is when you have events, I may donate you guns or silencers or things yep. like that, and that's yep. easier for a lot of companies to do. And I've seen that be successful, like you say. I mean, some of our friends at some of your events, you know, will pay twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars for a freaking gun. Um, yep. 
And so how can companies uh, get in touch with you or do that and um, donate product that you can auction off? Yeah, so so you you just nailed it. You know, we 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 were able to convert product into cash at at these events or online. We might do a, a an auction or a raffle online. Um, you know, there's at an exponential rate. I mean, the rate yeah. that I've seen things go for. You know, for instance, maybe one of our guns that was three thousand dollars go for twenty thousand dollars or right. you know, things like this. So that that yeah, I mean it's. It's it's staggering to watch some of that generosity happen. I think, and it goes back to to you know you, you create this very unique experience. You speak to people in a, in a way that they maybe haven't been addressed um, or at an event in, in just in a unique way, and boom, magic happens. Uh, so yeah, so so we have been we, we've got so many great industry. I, the word partner is so overused, but you know the, these companies donate material to us, their guns or optics or silencers or whatever, and we're able to, to convert that into cash. And you know, and, and quite frankly, as a guy that used to own a small business, you know, the, the same budget that that pays for a new trade show booth, a new catalog, a website overhaul, and you know, converting that intern into an employee, well, that same budget. Is the one that's paying that's paying for every guy that walks up and says, "Hey, we've got this event, or we've got this match, or we've got this experience, or we've got this TV show." I mean, it's it's all the same budget. And so, you know, I talk to guys, mutual friends in the industry, and it's like, I don't know the right ROI for you if you give anything to us. I really don't. Um, however, people. You know, industry guys come to these events, and, and uh, you've seen it, you know, firsthand, and you're like, okay, I get it. Like, I now am able to connect the dots between my company's gift and the soft organizations that are our customers that we're also supporting through through SOCF and connecting to the consumer base out there in a way that, you know, I can't do it just on the traditional website or, or physical retail store. So it's, you know, that conversion, uh, really is, is, uh, is a, is a pretty amazing kind of ROI, uh, from a $3,000 gun selling for $25,000 or more. But, you know, pe- people can find us online, uh, sock-f.org, soc-f.org. Um, my email is david at sockf.org um, or sock-f.org, and then uh, yeah, we you know on the website we have a we have a, a way to give uh, you know and it's a just con- conversion you know and I'll actually you can do it on a credit card or PayPal or whatever. Um, we're actually about to we're, we're right in the middle of an oversight or an overhaul of our own website to be able to do. We've we've had some some guys say hey I've got. You know, significant stock, and I've, they can convert stock and, and gift us that, and that it's more advantageous for everybody if you do it that way. Um, gifting of, of securities, and but some people, you know, honestly, some people give us twenty dollars a month, and every month their 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 bank sends us a couple bucks, you know, and it's it's awesome. I mean, the majority, yeah, the majority I, I, of us. Uh, go, go ahead, Kevin. No, I was just saying, I, I think it's so great because I know over, you know, the past 15 or 20 years of 
me working with a lot of the special operations groups and getting to know a lot of guys personally and then become friends over the years. And, um, you know, I mean, I had just a, a year or two ago um, a family, uh, the husband was deployed, and the family, good friends of mine, the kids, the wife, and everything, and there was, you know, an emergency here. And I was able to, to help them, you know, in, yep. in that way. So having, um, you know, an organization like yours that has a lot of the personal connections and can do that. Cause you don't, you just don't think about, I mean, you and I have the luxury, like we spoke of a minute ago, where, you know, we're not away from our family for three months or six months. But if you take right. any chunk of the time, I mean, you and I have children about the same age, take six months of any, you know, any six months, one block of time, since our kids have been alive, there has been some emergency that's happened, like every one of those. And, you know, I, you don't, for me, I take it for granted. I'm always there to, you know, to help or yep. to, to make a decision for them or, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, and uh, just not having, uh, you know, that ability to be with your children all the time, but to have organizations and friends that can help you. Um, Absolutely. You know, yeah, I mean, it's important. And, uh, you know, to me, we kind of all have a duty. I mean, I think you and I feel like we've served in a way by uh, delivering products. And then to me, like you're coupled, you know, we develop product for these guys that they've used effectively that helps to bring them home. And that's great. And that feels, you know, but then we also make a living and we make money off of it. And so having yep. another way that we can kind of give, and this is just, you know, black and white, I can donate this thing. Um to your organization, you auction it, it brings all of this money that goes directly to families um, right. that can help with these things. is really great. Okay. Um, so that's how people can reach you and reach the organization, the website. And it, SOCAF is Special Operations Care Fund is what that stands for, correct? Correct, yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, what else can you think of related to the anything else with the, the charity of the organization? You know, I think, uh, I mean, we covered pretty in depth. I, I can't think of anything specifically about, you know, any other, any other kind of initiatives we have or whatever. Like I said, we just expanded our board, uh, brought in, uh, three new board members to help us have a, a greater accountability. Uh, more eyes look, you know, just helps us to perform better. Well, and, I mean, uh, having something like that after you guys have done this a few years, you kind of have it down, but the growth that you've had. But having, you know, more smart, creative people that can come up with ideas and continue to, to grow the thing, I think that's great. Yeah, for sure. You know, my wife asked me the other day, you know, what are you going to do? You know, how, have you thought about succession? And I I had never thought about it. Like, what does that look like for me? And then I... I don't know. I just came up with a number. I thought, you know what? I'll go until we raise a ten million dollars, and then I'll have somebody replace me, and I'll just go be a a donor and shoot shoot the sporting place thing and show up at the events and try to win a few things at an auction. But you know, I figured that ten million bucks—that'd be a cool number. I don't know why. Why ten? Why not fifteen? I don't know. I just thought it was a good number. Yeah. But so yeah, yeah, so, yeah. That that. It's interesting, and, and to bring on people, get more people excited about it, to take on some of the work that that you've been doing. Um, yeah, for sure. Well, well, maybe we'll talk about a couple other things now. Um, you want to talk about where are you now? What are you so, doing? 
Yeah, so after uh, after 18 years with Arteryx and 14 with Solomon, I actually went to work for Magpul. And, uh, you know, uh, once again, my my professional world and the my philanthropic uh, side kind of, you know, can, can co-mingle a little bit. So, yeah, so I uh, went to work for Magpul about six months ago and managing their, uh, their non-gun business. So... You know, they've, obviously the big part of the business is all the, the magazines and butt stocks and chassis systems and all the gun accessories. And I'm managing if it touches a gun, somebody else is dealing with it. But I'm I'm on the the brand of apparel and the sausage and hats and the DACA wallets and pouches and all that. So, you know, on the on the more branding side of the world, I'm I'm managing that for them. So I'm you know, I'm still learning everything new about the new company and and whatnot. But it's uh, you know, thankfully for me, I'm still able to be connected to our mutual friends and customers. Uh, that would, yeah. that was, uh, you know, yeah. super important to me. So, and Magpul well, has a kind of a similar reputation as the other brands I've worked with as, you know, quality product and, and connected to those guys as well. Well, yeah, Magpul, when you talk about big companies and seeing Magpul from its conception to where it is now, I mean, I think, you know, not only one of my favorite companies, but everyone, they've been so innovative in so many things, and they've taken a ton of risk. You know, I was talking to Trey Knight about it the other day. I interviewed him, and it's, you know, most people now, Trey and I are old for the gun industry. You know, we're still in our right. 40s. But, you know, Trey started working for with his dad when he was like six years old. And, you know, I started my company at 19. I'm 44. But people don't remember way before Magpul, like plastic mags were tried over time, and Magpul just did a great job at execution and yep. then the marketing side of it. And nobody even remembers all the junk ones that were out before that. And Magpul has just built a hell of a brand. Um, yep. It, you know, they've been creative and they've done a lot of it on their terms. And you know, you know, some, someone that likes to pride myself on being creative. You know, I really kind of applaud them for that. It's helping sort of change our industry, and they make great products that help. You know, they're a huge commercial company, but also that help the, the warfighter, and and they don't take themselves too seriously, except right. for product and execution. But with the marketing, and it's really kind of geared towards uh, a younger crowd, which you know I love because you know when I got into guns, and I say this in like every interview I've ever given. You know, when I was a teenager working in a gun store, there was only one customer. You know, it was a a blue-collar guy from 35 to 55 years old, white guy. Like, that was the customer, and he was a hunter. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that was was who it was, you know, 30 years ago or something. Um, And and now it's so much more diverse, and I love seeing um, companies like Magpul uh, be innovative, grow, develop product create a cool culture and an expectation now, you know, like I'm yep. bummed, <laughs> you know, like Magpul, uh, when I don't see new products, I mean, it's had this expectation of them that is way above other companies, right. um, that make play and dabble in the same space, um, whether it's just their marketing or the products themselves. So, so I was excited to see you go there and I, I look forward to see what you're able to do with uh, the clothing and soft goods side. That, Cause that's yep. something I love that stuff as well. Yep. Yeah, and it, you touched on this about about the kind of the ethos. I, I remember when I first met you, and you were still uh, you, you owned AAC at that point. 
before you had sold it. And I remember thinking AAC and the culture of the brand and Magpul at the same time, the culture of their brand, you guys felt so radically different from the firearms industry. The firearms industry always felt like my granddad's musty old basement where there was mildew growing. And yeah. it was, and it felt a little yeah. angry and a little, don't ask too many damn questions, kid. And, uh, and here comes AAC and Magpul and it felt like a skate park and it was fun and there was a ton of energy and it was, you know, it was, it ushered in a completely new era. Um, and, and, and that was one of the things that attracted me to the brand was that the way that they execute and like you said, they don't take themselves too seriously except on product. You know, it's like if we can't make a damn good product, like let's not even try. And when we do make yeah. an awesome product, we're going to make fun of ourselves and uh, yeah. know, or make fun of our of our own customers or industry, you know, by doing it, you know, just kind of. You know, or the market conditions, whatever that looks like. But yeah, it's super fun. I'm, I'm, I, I am really, really enjoying the culture and the people. And um, you know, we, we're, we're broken up into three different facilities: uh, the, the the big logistical manufacturing piece up in Wyoming, uh, the office in Colorado that I work out of, where the sales guys are, and then the, the rest of the crew down in Texas. But it seems like the, the the whole group is kind of moving in a monolithic direction, like we're all headed in the same place, and, and I really appreciate that. The marketing guy is trying to find out what will support the sales efforts, and the product guys are trying to you know fulfill the product requirements that'll help to propel the company to growth. And you gotta like it when you're when everybody's kind of marching towards the same thing. Awesome product. We can we can grow and we can sell and we can market in a way that's meaningful and there's not a it's not a tug of war it's a we're all going in the same place I'm really enjoying it yeah Magpul I think you know Magpul is growing up in the industry there's a couple comments I want I want to make when so about the same time I was and it's interesting to me like at the time. The gun industry seemed like, you know, your mother's Olds, you know, Oldsmobile or whatever. And, yep. and now it seems more like <laughs> cross between a, a monster truck and a 911 or something. But, yeah. um, it, it is interesting to see the route that I took and uh, the choice that I made to sell and my hopes with Remington. And Remington had everything, you know, we recruited great people. I mean, Remington had the potential to be the greatest gun company ever. And they made every single bad decision they could possibly make. And look where Advanced Armament and Remington and all those companies are in the shitter now. And look at yep. the choices that Magpul made, because we're about the same size at that time. Yep. The choices that Magpul made and what great business decisions. So whoever was making them for them did way better than I did. And look at what Magpul's turned into. And, you know, that's something I, like, applaud tremendously and have huge respect for. Um but, it, it, you know, in hindsight, because, you know, I have my family especially ask me when something comes up about advanced arm net, you know, if I had not sold, what if? And, you, you know, I think I'm such kind of a brazen ass a bunch of times and so hard-headed and want things my way. Like, I don't think I could have learned without seeing someone kill my old company, which was on, you know, I mean, we were on the same path as Magpul. 
in uh, had every opportunity post acquisition to just dominate the firearms industry. You know, we had great people. Um, you know, there was Greg Baradat and Robbie Johnson, and yep. uh, in the military side, we were winning contracts. We were, you know, devoted to being innovative. They had Brent Jarbo, who is a, a wonderful engineer and innovator in Remington Engineering. And, you know, what happened is they didn't appreciate the culture and the executives didn't understand that the people, that the team was what made it very special. And I think Magpul, you know, you see that. Like I remember Drake Clark, who you work with at uh, Magpul, um, what, he was still a cop working for them part-time doing trade shows when I met Drake. And, yep. you know, to, to see him still be there and to have influence and input and you know, like what? What a cool motherfucker! And you know, I love that as they've grown. You know, he's not become irrelevant, and that they were smart enough. You know, everyone likes Drake. He's a great yep. guy, and, and they were smart enough to not replace him or think, well, we can find someone that can do that job better. And it, you know, to me, it's kept a personal face on Magpul, and it's a brilliant thing. Like I'm smart enough to know here. Um, you know, we've achieved a lot in two years at this new company. And we don't have that many people, but we have very high-quality people. And like you say, yep. working as a team, we're able to achieve stuff that big gun companies can't achieve, either because they're on self-imposed bureaucracy or they're not moving in the same directions. You know, that was yep. a frustration I had at SIG was there was no goalpost, and you had 14 people between you and uh, getting anything accomplished that wanted different things. So it's just – it's impossible. When I saw – SIG released that new gun the other day, the 365. They've got a new little pocket gun out. And uh, someone brought one in the office, one of the employees here the other day. And that gun is awesome. Um, you know, I haven't gone and shot it and stuff, but things that they did. And I was shocked they were able to get it accomplished. Um, yep. You know, because it's some of the, the hurdles that you have with a big company. Um, but I do love, like, the cultural change in firearms. And I think young people today that weren't in the guns 15 years ago, you don't know how horrible the industry was from a marketing perspective and a culture perspective back then compared to now. Oh, it's a fun industry. Now it's like motorcycles or boats or, um, you know, you know, working in the beer industry or something like there is a great culture, which I enjoy. Um, But it wasn't around before. (laughs) Yeah. You, you helped create it. Yeah. So, um, did you release a lot of stuff at Shot Show this year? Yeah. So, so on, you know, in, in my responsibility, we retooled all the the apparel, uh, lifestyle apparel that's you know shooting on the range, and and you know we we have a bunch of people that are really really uh, passionate guys doing overland, um, and so it's you know shooting overlanding. But you know, for guys like me, I can also get out and go hiking on it, and uh, it's super durable and dries fast. It's performance fabrics that you can shoot in and and, and still look good when you're going to eat tacos and uh, after after you get off the ranch or, or whatever. So yeah, it was a big launch for us, and then certainly on the on the gun side of the the Magpul House, uh, you know, a big big launch at Shop Show for sure. It was my first Shot Show with the brand, and uh, yeah. And so it was, uh, it was mayhem in the booth for sure for, for all four days of the show. Oh yeah. Magpul is always very exciting at the, at the shows. Well, I I want to thank you for helping to kill, putting the final 
think nails in the coffin, hopefully, of all the tactical shit, like apparel, the 511s. <laughs> and God, I'm sure 511 is a great company, and I don't mean that as a dick to them at a personal level, but everyone dressing like 1991 Delta Force, I, I'm right. so ready for that. <laughs> you know, it, get, it gets to a place here where when you're at Arteryx and Solomon, you know, that became my personal uniform. And not because I was trying to look like uh, a special forces badass, but because, you know, it was great. It was great stuff. And, and, you know, you're my buddy. Thank you. And you're, uh, you know, you're providing me with this awesome product. like I'm going to wear it. But then it becomes like the standard uniform for guys that, you you know, kind of are in that tactical community that want to be all badass. Like to me, I just want to wear like stretch jeans because I keep getting chubbier and a flip flop. <laughs> you know, like I just want to look like a dad that's got a job. Yeah. Like I, I don't know. Nothing, like, I, nothing we're going to do is, is going to make it look like you're about to invade a small country. You know, we're kind of anti-tactical in that sense. Yeah. It's pretty funny. When, when, uh, when I was still at, at Arcteryx, this was probably about five or six years ago, I had a, a meeting with uh, some guys in the FBI up, up in downtown DC, right next to their building, and I'm going in there to talk with. I think he was one of the um, probably the number three or four guy in the FBI, but he was a gear guy. He loved equipment, so he took a meeting with me, which was very uncommon. A guy at that level would would talk to a guy at my level, but uh, yeah, we were we were meeting in a coffee shop right right outside there uh, the door, and uh, you know I'm. I'm, I'm Walking, I'm looking at all these guys in suits and sport coats, and and I dress like you and I dress every day, you know, a pair of yeah. tennis shoes, Solomon shoes, and some Arcteryx pants, and a, and a you know a, a plaid shirt from Arcteryx. And the guy yeah. says, "Hey, you must be David." I said, "Oh yeah, yeah, nice to meet you, Brian." He's like, "Man, you look just like an agent that's coming out of the field." And I said, "Sir, <laughs> yeah. no disrespect. They look like me." And we laughed, <laughs> you know. So. Definitely yeah. uh, change change the look a bit. Yeah. Sorry, I'm eating some soup now. Um, yeah. Well, it's funny to me. I, I can't wait to see some of the stuff you come out with. And how I get old, I don't really understand fashion and us both having 14-year-old <laughs> sons. But, like, Aiden loves Hawaiian t- uh, button-up shirts like Tom Selleck from Magnum P.I. now all of a sudden, yep. my son. <laughs> like, what the hell? When did this come back? Um <laughs> So, I don't know. If Magpul does that, I'll probably be wearing those. Um, well, um, what else before we go? Um, let's see. Uh, looking down my list of, like, standard questions, you're a little bit different. You listen to um, to podcasts ever? I have not listened to your podcast yet. I'm I'm well, kind of one of those old funny duddies where I'm like, what's that now? I was saying we've only published one so far. Um, okay, was it with Trey? No, haven't published that one yet. So um, published one with Jared Joplin of American Precision Arms. Do you know Jared? Oh, yeah. you know Jared? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So um, I've recorded one with Trey, um, but you know the two of us together. God knows how that one's going to turn out. Uh, <laughs> And then with Chris Barrett and Lorena Nevesky. Um and then I'm, I might do another one um, this afternoon. Uh, but Mike Pappas from Dead Air and formerly yep. of Silencer Co. Uh, yep. Him, um, 
Yeah. So just kind of going down the list of, of people that I think are influential and are interesting in the industry and that'll, that'll give me time. Cause I didn't listen to podcasts and we just went on a, like a company road trip recently and a bunch of the guys are ones that they listen to. And then I became interested in that. So now I listen to them in the car. I was, I was like, Oh, we could do that. This will be easy. So, um, any new guns recently for you or anything? Or what do you, you know? Of right cor- course, in my quest for, uh, for 22s, I saw something on the SB tactical Instagram and I was like, Oh man, I got to have that. So yeah, I built up a, uh, a new 22 with the SP tactical brace. It was a Ruger charger. So technically you know, yep. it's a pistol and then yep. put, dropped it into this. Uh, I'm not sure how you say the company's name, but it's P M A C A. I think Pimaka chassis. So it's this cool little chassis dropped the, uh, the action into or the receiver into, um, this Pimaka chassis with the SP tactical brace and, uh, just this badass little, little 22. Actually, Jeff Creamer, uh, that he was, I, I looked and I, and I called our mutual friend Amy up there. I was like, I gotta have that. She's like, well, that's Jess gun. Like, yeah, it is. I saw it. Awesome. I saw it at his house. I saw it at his house a week or two ago. Um, yep. I asked him, he was up here because we're doing, um, he's doing a brace for us for the honey badger and we're working on some projects awesome. together. Um, yeah. So I need to send one down for, for you and your kids. I'll, I'll do it when I get the braces. Um, so. Uh, I said, man, why haven't you been able to get Ruger to do a 1022, like the most sold gun in the history of the world? (laughs) That's like, Ruger has been an awesome company to me Um, the last 10 years, just like new products. And, you know, they feel more like Magpul now to me than they do the old Ruger, which is a compliment um, to, 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 to Ruger. But it, 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 they've been pretty progressive. I'm like, why in the hell aren't they doing that? Like, yeah, a little 10-inch barrel 1022. And I would love it. And the takedown was one of those Magpul stocks that you guys did with, um, yep. yeah, an arm brace. So, yeah. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, I guess that's kind of everything. There's a lot of stuff going on, but we've been talking for a while. Um, yeah. If there's anything else you can – you can think of. Uh, uh, hopefully, this summer, the spring, we'll get together. Maybe on farm shooting. Yeah, sounds good to me. Um, yeah. Well, if you make it up here, to you know, around Boston, come see us. Yep. Um, yeah. I guess that's it. I appreciate your time and all, David. Um, sounds good, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good day, bud. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right. Bye.